You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. start this morning's message with a philosophical question, one that is, I think, something you would mull over with maybe a cup of coffee and a good conversation on a cold morning. Here's the question, what is life? Dude, that's deep. What is life? A simple definition would be something like the time that something or some person exists uh, that is alive or exists. We're here today, gone tomorrow. If we were just thinking maybe from a a biological sense, it's just living organisms and living cells that create life. Or maybe we're just thinking, man, uh, life is just something that you take, that you get one chance at, and whatever you do with it, that's life. Sometimes maybe out of our mouths we say things like, man, life really stinks, or, or man, life is great, or life is good. What is it that we mean? What is it that we're saying when we're talking about life in this way? Because I believe that there's more for us. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come to give you life and to give it to you to the full, to give you abundant life. So that must mean that there's something more than just taking up oxygen and taking up space in this little time capsule that we've been giving called our life. There's got to be more than just that. I believe Jesus, the word made flesh, came in order to give us the only life that we were ever meant to truly live. The kind of life that comes from abiding in Christ and his life flowing through us into our everyday living right now. This is week two in our series called Abide that we're doing in conjunction with all of our every nation churches all over the world And we're walking through the book of John together. And I want to encourage you that we're going to be starting a time of prayer and fasting and consecration today, as a matter of fact. It actually will start tomorrow, but there's an introduction today. If you download the, it's just simply Every Nation app on your Google or or your app store, whatever it is that you use, Every Nation app. You can do that right now if you want to. I won't care. uh, As long as you're playing something not like, Candy Crush, all right, whatever. But just that you are taking the time every single day to be able to read God's word together. This gives us a little short video from teachers and pastors all over the world. And, and each day that we'll be going through this. Maybe you never fasted before. And we like to do this every time, the beginning of the year where we fast and say, well, I've never done that. Well, try it. It's biblical. It's a time where we can consecrate ourselves unto the Lord. I wouldn't suggest that you just go straight water for five days or anything like that if you've never done that before, but that you would say no to your flesh and yes to God and trust him to be able to speak to you in a way that he could say, I'm going to consecrate your life, set your life apart this year for my glory and your good. That's the point. That's the hope. I was already talking to some of my pastor friends and God's already doing something through this. A a woman who came to church for the first time, pastor's wife's been praying for for eight years. They're ministering in the nation of Turkey. She showed up to church today for the first time. They were doing the message we did last week, the word made flesh. She said she loved it. 
she wants to come back next week. My friend from Iran who's a pastor just baptized his niece who lives in another nation and who was visiting and he'd been praying for and he's, she's there visiting and they baptized her. She gave her life to Christ this week. Is excited about going back and sharing their gospel with her husband because of what God is doing because God was made flesh in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is the word of life. We just sang about it. He's the word of life. So we're going to talk about it today. Abide means to remain or to stay. And as we remain and stay in Christ, we will begin to live our lives in a more God-honoring, glorifying way. This is how we were meant to live, to glorify God. We said last week to know him and to make him known. We want to know him more intimately this year and make him known more broadly this year. That we would love Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. One of the primary ways that we do this is through reading God's word, spending time in God's word, learning about him and knowing him more intimately with the help of the Holy Spirit. We talked about this week. We read the word of God, then we comprehend or understand the word of God by his grace through the power of the Holy Spirit. Then we believe it to be true, and because we believe it to be true, we then obey the word of God. Jesus was the word made flesh. Jesus is the eternal word. He's the living word. He is manifested and showing himself to us in the written word today so that we might have life. As we continue in the book of John throughout this series, hopefully we're going to see what John wants us to see. He wants us to see who Jesus really is is this matters we said this last week because who you perceive Jesus to be will affect how you respond to who Jesus is who you believe Jesus to be will affect how you live for him right now today so with John he's emphasizing over and over and over again that Jesus is the son of God that he is come in the flesh that he was both man and God at the same time but he is also equal to God the father in our particular text today, Jesus is called the Son of God and the Son of Man. He is both. So if you have your Bible with you today, I want you to turn with me to the book of John, chapter 5. That's going to be our text today. Specifically, I want to see who Jesus claims to be in these verses, John 19 through 29. That's where we see Jesus claiming to be the Son of God and the Son of Man, co-equal with God. This is a crazy claim. One that we believe and gives us life today. But in order to do that, we need to set it up with verse 1 through 18 so we can understand the context. And what I want you to see in those verses is wherever Jesus is, there is life. If we want to know what abundant life looks like, if we want to know what the definition of life is and how to live it, then we need to look at the life of Jesus in his word. This is the Bible, the word of God. My wife and I were just talking about this week. We spent some time together, and she was talking about when she teaches in this series, it's like, I'm really going to talk about how we need to have this. It's called a paper Bible. Now, it's nothing against you using the Bible on your phone. I do it all the time. It's very convenient. But that we spend some time in the Word of God, because I know for me, if I'm on the Bible on my phone, there's a lot of other things, unless it's in airplane mode, that begins to distract you from reading the Word of God. I've never seen a tweet pop up in this except the ones that I want to tweet, you know. But I need to read it for more than just that. Not just for what I'm going to post later, but for what God wants to put into my heart. So, John 
chapter 5. Let's read this. This is a shift right now. John chapter 5 marks a shift of how the people are feeling about Jesus. Not just curious and wondering about him, but now they're being a little bit uh, confrontational and they're opposing him. So what was it that Jesus did that ticked everybody off so much? We'll see in John chapter 5 verse 2. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool which is Aramaic, in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Because Jesus never does anything by happenstance, I believe there's always something to learn and to see about who Jesus is by every move that he makes, every word that he speaks, and everything that we see and read about him in the scripture. Notice Jesus enters the city and goes where? He doesn't go first to where all the the well-off people are and the, the popular people are. He goes into this city and he goes to where the hurting, the sick, and the disabled people are. Jesus goes to places that we're uncomfortable going. He typically goes to the places that we would try to avoid. So first off, what do I see about Jesus? And what do I see about what is life? What I see in Jesus is life is near the helpless. Life is near the helpless. That's where true life is. Also, we see and we want to take note of how Jesus entered into the city. This is interesting. This is really kind of a side note of what we're talking about today. But I want you to understand how as you're reading the word of God this week, how Jesus wants to reveal himself to you of who he is, who he's always been, what he's always been about, and that's bringing life to us, his children. And this is what it says, that Jesus entered through the sheep gate. Nehemiah 3.1 is where we first are introduced to the sheep gate. It's called the sheep gate because this is the gate through which the sacrificial animals would be brought into the city and laid on the altar to make a sacrifice. Now watch this. Once Jesus enters through this sacrifice, sheep gate, he goes to the pool of Bethesda. Bethesda in Hebrews means outpouring, a place of outpouring or a place of grace and a place of mercy which is a pool, really, of mercy because there are people around this pool that need the mercy of God. So watch this. The pool of mercy and grace is located near the place of sacrifice. For those with eyes to see the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God, slain before the foundations of the world to take away the sins of the world, John said, he walks through this gate of sacrifice to the pool of mercy and grace. Mercy is getting what, not getting what we deserve, and mercy is based on sacrifice. So the reason that we can receive mercy today is because Jesus shed his blood on the cross as the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. So now you can experience the mercy of God and be saved. I think it's interesting that Jesus walked through this gate of sacrifice and the first place that he went is to the pool of mercy and grace to help those who were helpless. So moving on, verse six through nine, let's see some revelation, some more revelation about Jesus. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. 
At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Before he makes his specific claims about who he is in the succeeding verses, I want us to look at who Jesus is by what he does. The Son of God living as such. The Son of God. Because I believe that this is what we begin to see in his interactions in these particular verses. How so? Well, in verse 6, it indicates that Jesus' knowledge or his ability to know things that only God could know. This word learn. They'll say, well, that means that he learned. Somebody told him about it. No, that's not what that word means at all. This mean, word learn means a supernatural knowledge outside of anybody telling him anything. He knew exactly how long this man had been here and what was going on in his life. Jesus knew this man's situation without having to be told what his situation was. 38 years he'd been paralyzed, coming to the pool, hoping for healing, hoping for something to happen, a miracle to happen, and Jesus knew his situation. Did you know that you don't have to explain your situation for Jesus to touch your life? I don't have to explain to him what's going on in order for him to meet me with mercy and grace. When you know Jesus... You know a Savior who knows perfectly about everything, everything about you. He knows everything about your life. He knows the good, the bad, the ugly, the things that you have thought you've kept hidden. God knows. Jesus knows. And at all that you've ever thought, even the Word says in Psalms of the thoughts before they're on your lips, He knows them. He knows everything about you, everything that you've ever thought or done. Jesus knows. Why? Because Jesus has perfect knowledge this is what we learn about jesus right here even in this interaction with this man he knows everything this is problematic a little bit for me and maybe for you because we think that if somebody knows everything about us they knew everything about me the way i think the way i i kind of hold back what i really want to say if they knew all about my past and the things if they knew they wouldn't accept me and we think that about jesus if jesus really knew about me he wouldn't love me but that's not true jesus has perfect knowledge of your life and he still loves you isn't that amazing that jesus knows everything about you so why would he come near to us why would he come near to me the invalid in need of mercy and the reason is what else we see about Jesus' life in this particular passage. He's compassionate. Jesus has perfect knowledge, and Jesus is supremely compassionate. I'm so grateful that Jesus knows everything about me, and he's not ruled by judgment about my life, but he is ruled by the compassion and the kindness and the love that he has for us so that we don't have to experience the judgment that he will one day have to make. I said earlier Jesus is near the helpless and he knew exactly what was going on when he went to the pool of invalids just like he knew what was going on when he decided to walk through Samaria when nobody that was Jewish would walk through Samaria and met the adulterous woman at the well Jesus was always moved by compassion Jesus had no problem going to places others were not willing to go for all kinds of prejudicial reasons he was without prejudice and apathy but he was full of compassion and kindness and that caused him to go to places that nobody else was willing to go oh yeah I'll meet that woman at the well oh yeah I'll go to Samaria oh yeah I'll go to this pool that I know all of y'all try to walk by and avoid because it just makes you feel a certain way that you don't want to feel 
He was without prejudice and apathy. He was full of kindness and compassion. Jesus knows the needs we have, and because of his compassion, Jesus moves towards need, not towards comfort. Jesus moves towards the brokenhearted and the helpless and the sinners, not the self-righteous. Notice what he asked this sick man in verse 6. Do you want to be healed? Which is kind of an odd question, right? That's why they're there. That's why he's been coming there for 38 years. The man didn't say yes. And he didn't, even, he didn't even say, well, why else would I be here, Jesus? He didn't get smart. He didn't do anything. He just started to explain his tragic situation. Do You ever notice that we kind of do the same thing with God? It's like, hey, do you, do you want out of this? And then we just kind of start to explain our tragic situation. Well, this is why I'm here. and This is what's going on. And like, well, I didn't ask for all the reasons. Do you want to be healed? And the man doesn't, he just gets his excuse. So what does Jesus do? He doesn't say, I'm going to ask you again. Do you want to be healed? Now, maybe he did that in another situation. But in this situation, Jesus just healed the man. Verse 8, then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. This message was my, messes with my theology a little bit. And maybe it messes with yours because apparently this healing is not in response to anything religious or faithful about this sick man. He didn't say, great is your faith. He didn't say, wow, you came to me and asked like the woman who touched the hem of his garment. He didn't say that in this situation. It looks like Jesus just healed this man simply because his life and circumstances had been so miserable for so long. In other words, it looks like it comes from the compassion of one who is supremely compassionate. Not the man's faith, not the man's righteousness, but because Jesus is compassionate. The Gospels talks about on many different occasions where Jesus was moved by compassion, and that's the only reason, or pity, and this is why he did what he did. Not only does Jesus know you perfectly, but he's moved by the pain and the hurt and the misery that you might be going through in your life. We may not always like the answer that we get, but it isn't because Jesus is not compassionate. He is compassionate to us in our misery. Scripture tells us that he is a sympathetic high priest that knows everything that we're going through and loves us in every way. And he doesn't need our explanation. He doesn't need our excuses. He doesn't even need our good behavior or our great faith to help us and to heal us. He's moved by compassion. Man, I'm so grateful for that. That knowing my imperfections, Jesus isn't moved by that. He's moved by his compassion. It's not about what I've done or did. It's about what he's done. So what we also see is the power in Jesus. Jesus is all-powerful. We just sang about this. I was, as we were sitting down there talking about Jesus moving the mountains, and then the first song we're singing about the name of Jesus, and he's all-powerful, and all the things that he is. I'm thinking, yes! Yes, that's who he is. Yes, that's who we're singing to today. Yes, that's who we're calling out today. Do you need the power of Jesus in your life? That's who you're calling out to today. That's who you're coming to meet with today. When Jesus speaks, when he speaks, things happen immediately. Whether he speaks, peace be still, come out of him, be healed, or come forth. When Jesus speaks, just like this passage of scripture, something happens at once. The man was healed. He didn't have to belabor about, oh, man, that didn't work. Let's keep going. At once. 
Thus far, we see Jesus as the one who has perfect knowledge, who's supremely compassionate and all-powerful. This is what we see when we spend time in the Word of God. This is how you get to know Jesus. You read about him. This is how you build a relationship with Jesus. You spend time in his word. You meet him in his written and living word. And you speak to him. And you let him speak to you. Then you live your life in accordance with this word. Not a Jesus made up in my own mind. Not a Jesus that I figured out myself. But a real Jesus shaped with absolute authority by the word of God. That's how the word brings life. That my view of him and my knowledge of him is shaped with absolute authority by his word. Let's keep going. But I want to skip down to verse 13 because Jesus basically had just ghosted this guy. I guess we could say that he wholly ghosted him. Hey. Jokes in 2022, y'all are laughing. Good. I know you just do that out of courtesy. That's fine. God knows your heart if you really think it's funny or not. Verse 13, the man who was helped or healed had no idea who healed him. They were asking him, who healed you? Uh, I don't know. Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. So what's Jesus doing? Is he like just doing random acts of kindness? I don't want to, there's no purpose in this. I just healed the guy. I hope he has a good life. Did he just like go into Starbucks, pay for the person behind him and move on and <laughs> The answer comes in verse 14. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Not worse like you're going to be more physically, in a, in, have a disability or, or something worse physically is going to happen. Something worse is going to happen because what's worse? That you would be eternally separated from me. Jesus had no intention of walking away from this man and leaving him with nothing more than a healed body. Jesus wasn't trying to perform a, a magic show. In other words, Jesus is saying, I sought you out to tell you the point of what I just did to you. I healed your body with the aim that it would lead to the healing of your soul. I conquered your sickness with a hope and a view to conquering your sin. I healed you for the sake of your holiness, not just so that you could be physically whole, but so that you could be eternally holy. This is why Jesus did what he did. This is why Jesus always did what he did. So not only do we see Jesus this way, who he is, what, he, that he has perfect knowledge, that he's supremely compassionate, that he's all-powerful, that things happen immediately when he speaks, but we also see that he came to make us holy. We also see how God relates to the Son and how the Son relates to the Father. Let's go on, John chapter 5, verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, this is why everybody was so mad, healing this man, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my Father is always at work, at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is a problem. This is the thing that separates who we believe Jesus to be from every other religion and every other belief about him. 
Jesus doesn't argue with them. Matter of fact, he just goes on and explains his relationship with the Father in the next verse. Let's go ahead, verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so, the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Now they're really ticked. Because the prerogative that only God has, Jesus is saying, I claim it as well. And that is to bring dead people back to life. Now we aren't talking about this today, but later on, he proved that when he called Lazarus out of the grave. Then he proved it again when he himself was raised from the dead. That he is in fact the son of God. Whatever the father does, that's what he says, Jesus does. When the father acts, Jesus acts. This is the sort of things that the Jews heard and hated. Jesus say and made them furious that he was God. They concluded rightly, you talk like you're equal to God. You talk as if for him to speak is for you to speak. For him to act is you to act. As if there's some kind of perfect union or connection between you two. Verse 21, Jesus claims the prerogative that only believed, as I said, to be given to God. That that was the greater work. That he could give not just sick people a healthy body, but dead people a new life. He could raise the dead. So what we see in these verses and into verse 23 is the son stays in perfect step with the father and the father acts in perfect step with the son. What does this mean even for us today? Verse 23 says, whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. In other words, if you want to know if somebody has a true relationship with God, the one true God, here's the main question. Here's the evangelistic question for us. Do they honor Jesus for who he really is and who the word of God, particularly right now in the book of John, says that he is? As the divine son of God, the Messiah, the crucified, risen Savior and Lord of the world, the Lord of the universe, the final judge of all human beings. If they don't, then they don't know and honor God. Then the implication in verse 24, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and he will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. What is this saying? It's the gospel message very simply. If we hear the gospel message of Jesus in the gospel of John in its totality, If through that message and that person, Jesus Christ, we come to know and trust God as the one who sent him for our salvation, then something amazing happens in your life and you are transformed from death to life. Salvation in Christ. This is how the word brings life. We not only, watch this, he's not saying we not only will have eternal life, but he says right here, we already have it. And we not only will avoid the judgment of condemnation one day, but we already have passed through judgment and are safe on the other side already. Here's the mystery of Christianity, the now and the not yet, the already that's taken place and the not yet that is still to come. Watch this. Jesus has become that judgment for us already. When we are united to him by faith, his death becomes our death. His crucifixion, our crucifixion. His curse on the cross, our our curse on the cross and his resurrection praise God our resurrection 
We have already passed from death to life. This is the glorious news that is beyond all words and ability for me to explain. Know this about yourself as a believer. This is who you are. This is the word giving us life today. You've passed from death to life. There is no condemnation. What does Romans 8, 1 say? There is now no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. You've passed from death to life. Already and not yet. So the first issue we saw in this text is that the lame man's healing wasn't just so somebody could get physically healed. The purpose was to lead this man to holiness and salvation. An even greater healing, if you will. That's what Jesus said, I'm going to do a greater work. The greater work is that I can do so much more that cause the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the lame to leap. I can bring the dead back to life and for that you better be overjoyed. The second issue in this text we see is the way the father and the son are equal so that the one is acting, the other is acting. That we see the father we see the Son. When we see the Son, we see the Father. With two implications off of that, that if we don't honor the Son, Jesus, then we don't honor and know the Father, God. And if we believe on the Father through the word of Jesus, that we've already passed from death to life, and we're on the other side of condemnation, so there needs to be none. This is life, abundant and free. This is how the word brings life. So let's close then with the issue that I skipped over of him healing somebody on the Sabbath. Verse 16 says, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. So Jesus answered the criticism in verse 17. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. The Bible says that the Sabbath was created for man. It was created for us, not God. In essence, Jesus is saying, my father and I created a perfect world, and then we rested. Not because we were tired, not because they needed a break. No, but because in order to step back and enjoy the perfect display of their own glory revealed in their own creativity, which is what the Sabbath is for, for the restful, focused enjoyment of God's people in God. But then sin entered the world, and through sin came sickness and death and calamity And from that moment forward, the Father and Jesus have been working 24-7 again. Jesus is saying, we've been working even when you don't see it or recognize it to restore a Sabbath rest to the universe. We've been working to overcome sin and sickness and hell and death and the grave. Even the religious law that God gave them was containing the Sabbath, was part of the Father and the Son working to help us live righteously. So that the Messiah, a Savior who had come and performed the decisive acts of restoration and transformation toward the new heaven and the new earth, once again will restore perfect rest to all of us forever. Jesus is saying, when I heal a man and intentionally do it on the Sabbath, I'm showing you something about myself. What was happening at the pool of Bethesda, the pool of grace and mercy, the outpouring of grace and mercy was that my father and I were revealing to the world the world that was coming. 
It's a world in which there will be no more sickness and there will be no more death and a world in which there will be no more sin. Therefore, repent and rejoice that a man has been saved from both sickness and death on the Sabbath. God works on the Sabbath, and for that I'm glad. It would really stink if there was a day off that God had every week. Just think about that for one second. I mean, that, talk about a philosophical, spiritual, odd question. Just think if God turned the clothes sign over for one second. God takes no days off. And the reason is, is so that we might be whole and have rest even now today that we might have life. That we might experience the real life that God has for us in Christ today. That an even greater step that we would experience is the eternal life that we can have in Christ right now. Because Jesus, the Word made flesh, conquered sin and death, and now God has the power to raise dead people like me and you back to life, abundant life now and eternal life forever. This is the Word that gives life. You know what I think about life? And maybe this will help you. As I'm driving in this morning, life isn't about my circumstances. If that was the case, then I could say, well, life sucks. I say that a lot. But if life is about me abiding in Christ, if life is about what Christ has done and not what I'm doing or have done, if life is about what God has given me in the fullness of Christ right now, in the immediate present and in the future, the hope that I have in Christ, if that is life, then life is always going to be available to us in abundance and fullness. And joy that surpasses our understanding. Peace that surpasses our knowledge. It doesn't mean that the circumstances are good. It doesn't mean that the circumstances are something that I'm enjoying. They might really stink a lot. But the reality is life is good because God is good. Life is abundant and eternal because God is abundant and eternal. That's how we can have life to the fullness even now in the midst of stuff that's awful. So I'm encouraging you even now this week that you would meet with God. Take the time. Use the app. Use a, we have a few hard copies even. Whatever it is, find the time to pray and to fast and to spend time in God's Word. Don't let the first thing you do pick up a mobile device in the morning. Pick up the Word of God. Hit your knees. Begin to pray. Say, God, I want to know you more intimately and I want to make you known more broadly. God, thank you for giving me life in your Word today. You are the living, eternal Word that I see revealed even now in in the written word. God, I want to know you more. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.